You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, a podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 75. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with William L. Myers, who is an attorney in Philadelphia and the best-selling author of the Philadelphia Legal Thrillers. His latest uh, novel in that series, A Killer's Alibi, is going to be uh, published on February 19th, and it's available uh, right now as of uh, recording this podcast uh, for pre-order. But uh, it'll be available to everybody on uh, the 19th of February. I highly recommend you go uh, check that out. I received an advanced copy, and it's a, it's a great thriller, a lot of plot twists, a real good page turner. So go check that out on Amazon or wherever you get your books. But before I get into the uh, interview, I would like to uh, ask you to please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to this right now. It really helps me get the word out of this podcast. And so I appreciate your support on that. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview with William L. Myers. Everybody, Alan Peterson here with Meet the Filler Author. And on the phone, I have uh, William L. Myers, who is an attorney in Philadelphia and was the number six best-selling author for the Amazon Kindle in 2017 for his debut novel, A Criminal Defense, which was the first of his Philadelphia legal thrillers. Welcome to the podcast. Alan, thanks. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to having uh, this conversation. Oh, excellent. And so can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know I already said you're an attorney and, and an author, but can you tell us how you got, got to where you are? Yeah, I, I grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania called Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Went to a small college in western Pennsylvania. Then I was lucky enough to get admitted to the University of Pennsylvania Law School, which is an Ivy League law school. Started out representing big corporations in civil litigation and decided after a few years of doing that that I was really wearing the wrong color hat, that I wanted to switch hats and wear the white hat and represent working class people like the people that I grew up with. So I switched sides, became a plaintiff's trial attorney, um, and have been representing plaintiffs ever since, mostly injured railroad workers. And that's what I found, you know, where I found my passion was. Wow, and the, when, when you were, all this time that you've been working in, in, in law, were you always wanting to be a writer? Were you, was it always in the back of your head? Or? It was always in the back of my head. You know, it, it's weird, Alan. When I was a little kid, and, and I mean real little, like 10 and 11 years old, I used to write stories and the teachers would take me around from classroom to classroom, and I would read the stories. Then as I got older, and I went, you know, through adolescence and got more into having fun and girls and all that stuff, I completely forgot about the writing. And it wasn't until I was out of law school for, man, almost 10 years, and I know I was writing this brief, and I was all into the brief, and my secretary said to me, you really like to write, don't you? And it just brought back a flood of memories of how I used to love to write when I was little. I went home that night and started just spewing out a full-length novel. And I worked on it probably for, oh, man, months, like six months, Alan, and just went home and I wrote every single night, got that novel done. And I can tell you now, looking back on it, that novel was probably absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I wanted to write, but I didn't know. I had literally had no idea how to write. I didn't know how to develop a plot. I didn't know about character arc. You know, I knew a good book when I read one, but I had no idea how to craft one. How do you learn that? Or did it just come from practice? Or did you, like, get some education on that? Trial and error. I mean, <laughs> I, I continued... I continued to write, continued to fall down, and I and I took a novel that I had written, and this is going back like 10 years, to a pitch slam in New York. And one of the um, agents was kind enough to say, I see talent here, but you need direction. You, you, you can write, but you really don't understand story. And she said, there's a book called Story, and she gave me the name of the, the author. I forget it now. Um, but it's actually on how to write screenplays. But it talks all about the elements of story. And I read that book, and it really taught me, I guess, the big picture. You know, what is it that you're looking for when you're crafting a story? You know, you write, you write for example, you write a scene, or in a book it would be a chapter. And you're asking yourself, who is driving this scene? Who's the protagonist of this scene? What does he or she want? Then you ask yourself, what are the forces that are aligned against this man or woman, and what do they want? Is the person starting out at the top of the chapter, on top of things, or on the bottom, and then where are they ending up at the end of the chapter? You know, have they, have they moved from a position of failure to a position of success or a position of success to a position of failure in each individual chapter and then later in the book as a whole. And, Alan, once I understood that that's what I was looking for, it became a lot easier to do it. Yeah, that must be a difficult tip, as you said, you know, as an attorney, you, you probably did a lot of writing on the legal side of things. So that's kind of a big difference from that type of writing to fiction writing, I would imagine. Is that something that was kind of messing with you in the beginning? <laughs> yeah, it was, because when, you, when you're doing legal writing, a lot of it is very technical, and there's a certain art to it, and it's more, you know, it's not, it's not as creative. It's not as much of a storytelling. It's, you know, this happened, then this happened, and this happened, and then you cite a bunch of cases, and then you say this happened and this happened and you cite a bunch of cases. It's, it's a very narrow, technical type of writing because you're writing mostly, you're writing for a judge. And all the judge wants is to get in and out of the brief as quickly as possible. The judge wants you to tell him or her what the case is about in as few words as possible. No emotion, just facts and law and judge, this is what I want you to do. It's like the opposite of show, don't tell. <laughs> it is. It's, it's the opposite of, of yeah. good storytelling where, yeah. you know, you want to invite the reader into a world and get the reader emotionally engaged in the world where they care about the protagonist and they identify with the protagonist and they want the protagonist to win and you're slowly walking them through, you know, these ups and these downs and these fights with other characters and emotional connections with other characters. 
very different, very different type of writing. And, and Alan, it feels different when you write it. At least for me, it does. I can really feel that I'm using the right side of my brain when I'm writing a story. Um, it just, I don't want to say it's like an in, intoxicating feeling, but it, it sort of is. On the other hand, when I'm writing a legal brief, it's pure left brain. It's pure analysis. It's pure fact-driven. feels very different. And so what is your writing process? I'm curious now. You were mentioning the, getting the story and the art. So do you do, do, you do a lot of uh, prep work before you start writing? Like do you, do you outline or do you, are you one of those uh, seat-of-the-pants type of writers? I'm kind of a combination. I know, I know where the, I want the story to end up. I know what I want to happen to the character, like the broad arc of it. And I'll write down some key plot points where this big thing is going to happen, that big thing is going to happen, like that. But then what I do is I put the characters into chapters, again, with kind of an idea of where I want a chapter to end up, but let the characters make the chapter happen. And sometimes probably more often than not, when the characters are interacting with each other, the chapter will turn a little bit left or a little bit right of where I intended it to be. And sometimes what I find, and, and, and I don't know if other authors find this or not, I sometimes find when I start writing a character, I have an idea for what he or she, what type of person they're going to be. Um, but sometimes it happens that they become a very different person and that a person who, for example, I had originally intended just to be kind of a plot device, someone who the protagonist can interact with and have dialogue as opposed to just have the protagonist thinking about something in his head. This character who was just going to be a foil, it's almost a two-dimensional foil, asserts herself or asserts himself and becomes fully three-dimensional with their own desires and their own plans and their own schemes. And that, for me, is like, that is a really cool thing when that happens. Yeah, I got that when I read your, I read the, uh, the uh, review copy of uh, The Killer's Alibi, mm -hmm. uh, which, thank you, by the way. <laughs> no, thank um, you. Which is, uh, uh, that's the latest book that's coming out in uh, the 19th of February. Correct. And, um, and I did notice that, uh, I've read other legal thrillers, but you have a lot of uh, on, uh, on family and dynamics and relationships. Um, so I did notice that when I was reading that, that uh, it made it very interesting because not only is all the action going on, but there's a lot of uh, character and family stuff going on too at the same time. Yeah, and so. I think that's that's important. That's an important part of a book, particularly with a legal thriller or what they what they characterize as a legal thriller. You know, you don't want to just have some kind of a courtroom procedural. Some people really like courtroom scenes, um, and I have them in the books. But, but I make the books more about the relationships between the different characters. And in that sense, it's more of a psychological thriller, particularly a killer's alibi, uh, more of a psychological thriller, because what's going on between the people isn't just legal maneuvering. It's stuff going on between a husband and a wife, stuff going on between a lawyer and his partner or a guy and his brother, 
And in a killer's alibi, it's stuff going on between two fathers and two daughters. One of the fathers, Jimmy Nunzio, big-time crime boss in Philly, has a daughter, Christina. And he idolizes her, and like any good father, he wants her to grow up to be the good girl. Christina, however, is her own person, and she has very different plans for herself. And when did the, the story start taking uh, shape in your in your in your, uh, in your head? I'm kind of curious about uh, you know when when you start to get the idea, and then you start writing it. Uh, how how did that develop? The idea, the initial idea of here's this father and this daughter, and he he doesn't want to see her for who she is. That I knew going into the book. Where that took me, where that ultimately took me and the character Jimmy Nunzio and the daughter Christina Nunzio um, was kind of a surprise to me. And I think it will be a surprise to the readers as to what actually happens between them. But, you know, you have, a, you have an idea of how these two people are going to relate to each other, but it's not until you put stress on them, you put them into a dangerous situation, that you really see how this is going to play out between them. And so, so this is part of your Philadelphia legal thrillers. What's the uh, connection on, on, on the – you have three books so far in that series, right? Yes. So, and the connection is the attorney. The, um, well, I'm sorry, I've forget, forgotten his name. Uh, yeah, Mick McFarland. Nick McFarland, um, Yeah. <laughs> Mick and his law firm, um, McFarland and Klein, are the, are the common – denominator. Okay. There's the main characters who repeat in all the books are Mick and his wife Piper and his his brother Tommy and also Mick's law partner Susan Klein. And there's a lot of a lot of background, a lot of conflict between Mick and his brother Tommy that fuels the initial book, A Criminal Defense. Um, some new characters are introduced in the intermediate book, An Engineered Injustice. But then in A Killer's Alibi, you know, you're getting back more to Mick McFarlane and Piper. They're each driving their own plot line. With Piper, she decides that she wants to run the firm's own innocence project. Hmm. And she's fighting for a woman whose father sexually abused her. The father ends up being murdered. The daughter is convicted. But Piper believes in the daughter's innocence, and she learns about all kind of evidence that wasn't presented at trial. So you have Piper really coming into her own in a killer's alibi as an advocate who's fighting for someone else. In a criminal defense, Piper is just Mick's wife, although they have a, a kind of a stormy relationship, mostly because of Mick's selfishness. And Piper is not a driving force in a criminal defense, but she is a driving force in a killer's alibi. Yeah, I really like that uh, that that part of the of the plot with the, the Innocence Project. I remember seeing a documentary about that group a couple of years ago. It's just incredible work that they do to get innocent people out of jail. Yeah, I, and I was fortunate enough two weeks ago to interview uh, Marissa Bluestein, who's the head of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project on um, a public access TV show that I do. It's called Sword and Pen. And Marissa was telling me all this interesting stuff about how, how it is that even it's based upon 
eyewitness identification where you have an assailant who assaults someone, and the victim is right there, sees them face-to-face, sometimes for a long period of time, and yet the victim can identify the wrong person as the assailant. And people end up spending decades in jail on the basis of very well-intentioned eyewitness identifications, but which turn out to just be wrong, and, and DNA evidence proves it. Yeah, that's, that's something that really uh, hit me, too, as I was pretty naive about the process. Like, oh, it works, you know, and, and it does in the majority, hopefully, but, but that really drove it to me, really, like, I mean, even if you are innocent, it really is best not to say anything and <laughs> get a lawyer. You think of the movies. Me, yeah. our, I mean, our criminal justice system, I am convinced, is the best in the world, but still we are all flawed human beings. And jurors also are flawed human beings. And from my experience, jurors get in the jury box and they really want to do what's right. They want to find the truth, whether it's in a civil proceeding or a criminal proceeding, and they really want to effectuate justice. I mean, they want innocent people to go free, and they want guilty people, particularly if it's a violent offense, they want them to not go free. They're not perfect. The prosecutor, the defense attorney, the witnesses, nobody's perfect. And so when you put all these imperfect people into this system, it's going to happen sometimes that you get an imperfect result and somebody's going to end up spending years, if not decades, in prison. And so how much of your own experience um, as an attorney go into your books? A lot of the courtroom scenes are based upon my experience. The, defend- the other attorneys who I portray in the book, they're not clones of attorneys that I've seen in courts, but a lot of their characteristics are taken from lawyers who I've gone up against in trial. And what I can tell you is what I try to do in the books when I do have the courtroom scenes is put you in the head of the trial attorney and what it's like to really be trying a case where you're faced with surprises, you know, things you don't anticipate, good things, bad things, moments of levity in court, moments of embarrassment in court, successes, crushing defeat, to try to give the reader the sense of really the roller coaster that it is when you are trying a case. You're up, you're down, your witness is up, they're down, you think you're winning, you think you're losing. It really is an emotional roller coaster. I try to put the reader into that situation. Chris started to write fiction. Is that right away with uh, thrillers, mystery type books? Is that were you a fan of those type of books before you started to write them? Um, I've always been a fan of psychological thrillers and legal thrillers. When I first when I first started writing, I don't even know, Alan. I don't even know what category you would say I was writing in. It was almost. I want to say it was like free-flowing, maybe, maybe the, um, the written equivalent of abstract expressionism. <laughs> I was just throwing words on the paper and kind of seeing what would happen. And that was, it was fun to do, it was exciting, but I needed, I needed to impose more discipline on the writing and more structure on it. Um, and so in that way, you know, being, being a trial attorney and doing the legal writing helped me. 
And so, uh, so Criminal Defense, that was your first novel that was published? A Criminal Defense was the first novel. I sat down, oh man, it was, I, I want to say like seven or eight years ago now, and I said to myself, okay, I've now been writing for like 10 years. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to intentionally write a, a, um, a viable, a commercially viable book, a book that tells a really interesting story, but that really can get accepted by a publisher and put out there. And it took two years to write a criminal defense. And then it sat for a year because I would send out query letters to publishers and never hear anything back. And then finally I got lucky. One of the lawyers who does the same type of law I do, his name is Anderson Harp, had actually published a couple books. And I went up to him at a professional conference. I said, Andy, I wrote this book. It's been sitting there for a year gathering dust. I sent out query letters to publishers, and I never heard anything back. And he said, Bill, you never will hear anything back. They just don't take unsolicited um, manuscripts. And he said, the, the, the way that you have to do it is you have to get an agent. Agents are the gatekeepers. Because if a publisher sees that an agent is representing a book, then the publisher thinks, okay, the agent knows that it has to be at least commercially viable. Otherwise, the agent isn't going to waste their time. So I said, that's great, Andy. That's fantastic. Thanks for telling me that. Now, how do I get an agent? And he said, you can't get an agent. <laughs> I said, what? He said, you can, sorry, you can't get. Is your next door neighbor an agent? Do they like you? And I said, no. I said, Andy, Andy, you're killing me here. There has to be some way to do this. And he said, here's the secret. The, the traditional publishing houses used to have very deep benches of editors, acquisition editors, copy editors, if you can find someone who's, who was a very well-established um, editor at a big publishing house to um, look at your book, accept it, edit it, and believe in it, they can get you an agent. And he was kind enough to give me his editor. Um, and the, you know, the editor looked at it, and it, I mean, it took him like a, two months to get back to me. But he said, this is... This is viable. It needs editing. It needs shortening. Um, but I can get you an agent for this book. And that was a criminal defense. Wow, that's an interesting, that's an interesting road to getting published. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, it just tells me, you know, talk to people because you never yeah. know who knows someone or something that will help you out. Yeah, don't keep and, it a secret. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, exactly. Don't keep it a secret. You know, if you're writing a book and you really believe in your book and you really believe it's worth other people reading, you know, don't don't be secretive about. It. Tell people. Let them know because somebody you know may have some in in the publishing world, and they could get you published. They're dead on too because, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the in the intro, the uh, Criminal Defense was the number six best-selling uh, book for Amazon uh, Kindle in 2017. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, millions, I, thousands and thousands of books they sell. Millions, yeah. probably. Yeah, I was I was absolutely blown away. The Amazon people were blown away. My editor, my agent. You know, you just you just never know. You never know what you have 
in your hands. It could be, you know, it could be a moderate success. It could be runaway success. So get it out there. And so what do you have coming up next? Are you continuing on with the series? I am. I'm actually writing, I'm writing the fourth book in the series, which is actually a, going to be the bookend to a criminal defense. It's going to bring everything, all the people who ended up being antagonists to each other in a criminal defense, they're now going to have, you know, this one major final battle. And um, that, so it's all going to be resolved. And I think, I think it's going to be um, a tremendous book. I'm working on it now. I've got, geez, I'm over 400 pages done, probably have another 100 pages to do, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, that's great, and that'll be published on, uh, like next year or later on this year. Yeah, that'll be that'll be published in twenty. What is this? Twenty nineteen? Yeah, that'll be published in twenty twenty. Ooh, it's crazy! The twenties already. <laughs> I know, I know. Isn't that scary? <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious. I just uh, so when you start writing, um, do you like um, talk about discipline? I mean, do you have like a set goals? Like I'm gonna write um, if I'm writing when I'm writing a book, I'm gonna write a thousand words a day or something like that. Yeah, I don't have, because I have a full-time law practice, I don't have the luxury of saying to myself, okay, I'm getting 10 pages done today. It's kind of like when I have an hour here, an hour there, then I can take advantage of it and I'll, and I'll write. And sometimes, Alan, I will write, I mean, I will write 10 or 15 pages in a day. That's unusual. It's more like I may write five pages in a day between client meetings or calls or court appearances or what have you. And so your books are, 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 are bestsellers. Do you, do you see yourself stopping uh, practicing law to write full-time or are you enjoying well, doing both? Yeah, no, it's funny because I've had this conversation with my wife. She said, you know, you, you're you having so much fun writing the books, but she also sees that I have fun practicing law and I love being in the courtroom. That's why I became an attorney was to become a trial attorney and so for me, the idea of just writing, okay, I'm just kind of sitting alone by myself in my own head, writing all day long, that does not appeal to me. I have to be out there. I have to be engaging in, with people, and I have to be trying cases. So I think that I'm one of those guys who's you know going to be 90 years old, walking into a courtroom, and the jury and my opposing counsel will be saying, "Who's this? Who's this little folded over guy?" But then I see myself trying you know a knockout case and surprising everyone. That's yes, the best of both worlds. You like you like doing both, so <laughs> you don't have yeah, to give up. I am fortunate that way. I'm fortunate. Yeah. Before I wrap up here. Your website for uh, listeners who want to find you, uh, your website is probably the best place to get more information about you. It's WilliamLMyersJr.com. That's it, WilliamLMyersJr.com. I'm just looking at your website now. I've got a lot of cool information on here, too. See that Sword and Pen, that interview series. I want to check that out. That's been a lot of fun, the, the TV show. I have loved doing that. I, and I got lucky. I interviewed Bill Lashner. William Lashner, who writes um, legal thrillers and other things, has been one of my favorite authors for a long time. Um, and I got to interview Beck Dory Stein, who's the young woman who was Obama's transcriptionist, who wrote in the corner of the Oval. And uh, yeah, I, I noticed that the legal thrillers really seem to uh, come back with a vengeance. Because <laughs> I see them on the top of the bestseller list on Amazon, uh, yourself and. Uh... 
John Ellsworth and Scott Pratt. There, I mean, I think the genre is coming back. You know, it's like everything goes in cycles. And I think for a while, the, you know, the legal thriller kind of went away, but now it's coming back. And particularly if you do what I try to do, which is really make it a psychological thriller in the legal context and really make it be about, you know, the emotional trials and tribulations that the people are going through in their hearts and in their minds and the interpersonal conflict, I think that really sells well, too. Okay, well, uh, William, uh, just a little know, your the latest book in uh, the Philadelphia Legal Series uh, comes out on February 19th, and it's called A Killer's Alibi, and I have read it, and highly recommend uh, listeners go uh, get it. And it's available already for pre-sale right now, but it'll be out everywhere on uh, a couple of weeks, I guess. It's in February 3rd uh, at the time of recording this. And, Alan, thank you for having me on. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, hopefully we can do it again. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast. Really appreciate it. And good luck with your, uh, with your new book. I'm sure it's going to do awesome. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests as well as information uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast and uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com i appreciate your support and so until next episode i will talk to you then